two Englishmen, two Scotsmen, two Irishmen, and two Welshmen were marooned on this island in the South Pacific. And they were discovered two years later. Well, the two Scotsmen had formed a bank and were trading shells with each other. The two Welshmen had formed a choir and were singing. The two Irishmen had killed each other off in a fight. The two Englishmen were waiting to be introduced. <laughs> and I don't have a microphone to introduce him tonight. Okay. So. <laughs> Get that man a hand. Get him a little Here, hand me that. So I've lived so long over there, I feel like an Englishman. I told you today I come for new clothes, free. <laughs> well, I've been wondering all day, what's it going to be this year? As I walked in the church this morning, this man, I think his name is John, was wearing this shirt, and I said, that's a pretty shirt. He had it dry cleaned this afternoon, and he's given it to me. So isn't that nice? <laughs> How about that? Okay. Now look. I'm just looking over the congregation to see if there's <laughs> anything else I want while I'm here. <laughs> here, take that. That would go nice with this, wouldn't it? Very nice. Okay, we'll have to wait a year. <laughs> we love coming here. Thank you. It gets better every year. Now, forgive me for mentioning a couple books. Uh, the new book, I mean, it's like out next month. And we just, we insisted getting copies here. It's More of God. I'm sorry, but most people want more from God. They want to use Him. Not many want more of Him. And if there's anybody here, you say, I want all of God I can get. This is your book. I want all of God I can get. And um, Ricky Skaggs, who's the king of bluegrass, now you sophisticated Texans, you probably wouldn't listen to bluegrass. But Ricky is from Kentucky, and he's born 30 miles from Ashland. We're old friends. He wrote the foreword, and he got carried away. It's almost as big as the book. He, he really, he's a, he's a man who loves God, and I, you buy the book just for Ricky's um, foreword. What I'm going to preach on tonight According to Michael Youssef, he's the vicar of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, he said that this is R.T.'s crowning achievement. He believes it's the best book I've ever written. Uh, Jack Graham, who's senior pastor of Prestonwood Baptist in Dallas, has endorsed this to the hilt. Somebody asked me a year or two ago, what is my greatest achievement? I am now almost 84 years old, and I've thought about that, and I'll tell you what it is. A year and a half ago, TBN 
flew me to Wittenberg, Germany. And I got to stand right there at the spot where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door. The world was never to be the same again. Never dreamed that I'd ever get to see it. Not only did I get to see it, I stood there and preached to the whole world. And TBN filmed it. And um, I wrote the book, Whatever Happened to the Gospel, in commemoration of Martin Luther's 500th anniversary. Uh, very, very important book. I explain what the gospel is. I show of dangers today. There's a heresy called hyper-grace. Uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's sweeping the world. Now talk about that. I explain why I believe in eternal punishment and not annihilation, which is something people are believing in. And then the last chapter is on heaven. And so I just thought I would mention that. And as you know, we're all but giving them away. They're supposed to be 15, no, $17. And uh, everything's 10, just to get rid of them. And I'll be back to sign them if that helps get rid of them. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and following. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or the King James, faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For, it's an important word, for, it means because. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. And I pray that this will be a clarification of the gospel and for all I know, there's someone here tonight who at this moment would go to hell if they died. And I pray that this will be an evening where one's destiny is changed from hell to heaven. May this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a word to say, I didn't realize till today why I was invited here uh, years ago. I thought it was because you all came to the Cove 
and heard me preach and decided to have me. But they actually knew about me 10 years before they went to the cold. And uh, it's amazing how relationships like this you can't make happen. It is brought together. And I just want to thank pastor and son and senior pastor and his beautiful wife. I don't know how you got her, you ugly thing. But uh, <laughs> it's, thank you for having us again. And by the way, uh, I'm not name dropping. James Brown, JB, who you all know and love, uh, he sends his greetings. We, he watched me this morning at 9.30. And... Uh, he might be watching tonight. JB, everybody here loves you. And he's in Atlanta working on the Super Bowl. Um, and you all know who he is. He's a CBS uh, sportscaster, loves God, great man. In fact, his publisher, he's written a book, a book about him. His publisher told me that JB, James Brown, is the finest person he's ever met. So I just thought you'd like to know that. Also, I've been in touch over the last 24 hours with Gigi Graham. She told me yesterday that she's tempted to move to Houston just to get to come to this church. That's right. <laughs> How about that? And also, <laughs> while I'm name dropping, uh, let's see, there's the queen, uh, <laughs> the president, but also Ruth Graham, Billy's youngest daughter, uh, sends her love. So, okay, enough of name dropping. The book of Romans is Paul's longest book, and there's a reason for that. He knew he would go to Rome, wanted to go, and he wanted the people in Rome, the Christians, to know what he believed before he got there. There was no apostolic leadership in Rome. The reason there were Christians in Rome was because on the day of Pentecost, Jews from about 20 nations, many languages, came to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. There's a bunch of them from Rome. And they got saved. So they go back to Rome... And they, they start a, a church. But there's no apostolic leadership. And so Paul wants to go there. And he explains the gospel. And that's why it is his longest epistle. And he starts out right at the beginning by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I wonder how many feel just like he does. Now, I don't mean to be unfair, but there are places where people are a little bit embarrassed by the gospel. I may be unfair to say that, but they want to talk about the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, that's the emphasis with many today. Uh, it's the gospel of the kingdom. I want to think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul believed in the kingdom, but that's not what he said here. And he goes on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Paul might have said, it's the power of God for healing. Paul believed in healing, but that's not what he said. He might have said, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the kingdom because it's the power for signs and wonders. Paul believed in signs and wonders. He says so in this very book before it's over. But that's not what he said. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. The most important thing in the world is to know that you're saved. Now, that's an old-fashioned word, and there are people who don't even like that word, a little bit too religious for them. But that's the biblical word. And I think that at this point, I need to ask a couple questions. Probably you don't need this, but if just one needs it, just one needs it, it'll be worth everything for me to say this. The first question is, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? The second question is, if you stood before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? Whatever would you say? Suppose it was the real thing. Suppose you're actually standing before God. And by the way, you will stand alone. You won't have anybody to help you, to encourage you. You won't have a relative or a friend to whisper the answer to you, to you. And you're standing before God. And there's only one answer, by the way. And you give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. Don't go there. And so it's the real thing. Let's imagine. I want you to imagine that uh, when you came in to this evening, we pa passed out sheets of paper to everybody. And go along with me. You've got a sheet of paper now on your lap. I want you to uh, take out your pen and your mind and write down your answer. What you would say to God if he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Okay, start writing. Now that everybody's had a chance, pass your sheets to the end of the row and ushers bring them up and we've got several hundred sheets of paper. Now if this were any other church than this one, I could give you answers. For example, I'll just read some of the answers of a typical church in America today. Uh, here's one that says, I've, I've tried to live a very good life. And I would just have to say, uh, I believe you. I talked to a flight attendant yesterday, uh, and uh, she lives in Dallas, and she goes to a Methodist church. I said, what would you say to God? She said, well, I, I've tried to love people. And I said, I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. I said, see me later, when you finish with all you have to do, I have something I want to tell you. Oh, here's another answer. I was brought up in a Christian home. I would say, well done, but that only means you had a head start. That won't save you. Well, here's another who says, uh, I was baptized. I'm sorry, but that won't save you. But here comes, oh, here's one who says, I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. <laughs> you, my friend, are lost as a goose. Here's another one. I've kept the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments. I want to say, well, you're a liar, for one thing. 
Uh, here's another. I've lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. And here's one who says, but I've done my very, very best. And I'd have to say, I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. But someone's going to say, well, that's not fair. What more, what more can you do than your best? And that is the reason for this message tonight. And by the way, the Methodist lady from Dallas came back and says, tell me more. And I had the privilege of leading her to the Lord. But this is something I do. It, this, is, this is something you can do. This is why I hope that before the year is over, you will lead somebody to Jesus. Now, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. But now I want to ask another question of you. Why do you believe a person should be a Christian? And suppose we passed out sheets of paper again, and we hear some of the answers. Some would say, well, you're going to be happier. Another will say, uh, it will help your marriage. Really? Do you know that statistics show that 50% of marriages performed in a church and 50% of marriages performed by justice of the peace and in divorce? So you can't say that this is going to help your marriage. And as for making you a happy person, really? Tell you a story. Years ago, when I first went to Westminster Chapel, there was a man who came to hear me preach. Uh, his name was Jay Michaels. He was a Los Angeles Jew businessman on his way to Moscow. But he had an office in London, and his secretary invited him to come and hear me preach. I didn't know anything about this. In fact, I didn't know about it for months. But it turns out that he was there that night when I was preaching a message on heaven. And he was converted that night. Found out about it uh, months later. And then after I got to meet him, uh, he and I became very, very good friends. And uh, one of the things I like to do, or used to do, don't get to do it anymore. We used to live in the Florida Keys. And when I was at Westminster, I'd come in the summer to fish in the Florida Keys. I'm a bone fisherman. That's, don't ask me what that is. It's, it takes too long. But it's something I do, catching fish. You stalk them, and they're hard to find, hard to catch. And I introduced that to Jay Michaels. And I was with him when he caught his first bonefish. He said an interesting thing to me one day. He said, before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. Now, what a testimony. I say, Jay, give your, message, give your testimony to 10,000 people and uh, tell them what Christianity has done for you. And he says, well, before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. Now, he's not complaining, not for one minute, but it turned out that his family turned against him. His own wife, Jewish, lovely lady, I spent time with her, never would convert, never would. And I think to myself, people do get the idea that you should become a Christian because of what it's going to do for you in this life. 
You see, it's the power of God for salvation. And you say, well, R.T., what do you mean by that? Well, when you get to verse 16, a couple of verses later, uh, verse 18, rather, Paul gives the reason you should be a Christian. I wonder if this will surprise anybody here. Here is the reason, according to Paul, people should be Christians. Your loved ones, your neighbors, the people you work with. Here's the reason. Verse 18, for. That is a Greek word, means gar. It means because. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This, according to Paul, is the reason people should be Christians, because of the wrath of God. And I ask, why isn't this preached today? Turn on any Christian station and listen to them for a whole week, every program. I don't care which one it is. And wait for any mention of hell or eternal punishment. You wait a week, you wait a week, a month, maybe a year. You might hear one person sometimes say something. You see, it doesn't bring in money. A friend of mine in Scotland, who's a Church of Scotland minister, said to me, when I listen to Christian television, I listen through the ears of a non-Christian. And he said, I watched it all day long and turned to my wife and said, if I didn't know differently, I would think Christianity is all about money. And that's where we are today. And the most elementary thing, you see, Book of Romans, Paul's chief epistle, it's all about the gospel and tells you right up front at the beginning why you should be a Christian. It's because of the wrath of God. And this is just somehow not managing to make its way. There's a place that Louise and I have visited four times. It's in Enfield, Connecticut. And uh, whenever we are in New England, I can't say every time because I haven't done it every time we go to New England, but at least four times, we drove two hours one way to get to Enfield, Connecticut. It's this little town about five miles south of the Massachusetts-Connecticut border. And I go there to pray. I don't stay long. I might get on my knees or I might just stand. There's a vacant lot right across the street from the Montessori School in Enfield, Connecticut. And there's a little plaque there. The people of Enfield are rather embarrassed by it. There's a plaque that says, on this site, July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached his sermon in the New England Awakening, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He took his text 
from a verse in Deuteronomy. It says, their feet shall slide in due time. In that sermon, which, by the way, Edwards read the manuscript. I'm not using a manuscript. He did. And he read every word. As he read and described eternal hell, the people began to moan and groan, so much so that Edwards actually says, be quiet, let me finish. And it didn't work. And the bottom line of the sermon, and you can go on Google, you can get it when you get home, you can read every word. The bottom line is, it is by the very mercy of God that you are not in hell right now. How does that make you feel? And Edwards went on and on. And by the time he finished, people were holding on to church pews. They were seen outside holding on to tree trunks to keep from slipping, sliding into hell. Word of that sermon went all over New England in days. It reached across the Atlantic in England in weeks. The world for that part of America was never to be the same again. It's the high watermark of the New England awakening. The reason for the declaration of independence can be traced to that. Historical research has shown this. I don't want to go any further making a statement like that, although it's true. The point is that is what brought about the New England Awakening in great power. Five years before, Edwards preached nothing but justification by faith alone. A lot of people don't know. He did it, did it for five years. And you see, this is what Martin Luther discovered. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, in the gospel is a righteousness revealed from faith to faith, faith for faith, I find that most Christians don't have a clue what that means. Now, some versions obviously don't know what it means because they try to paraphrase it or interpret it. The version I'm using, which I happen to be using the ESV, I'm not making a claim that that's the one you should use, but it's just the one I'm using it. It says from faith for faith, that's what the Greek says, or faith to faith. What's the point? Well, the way to find out is to look for the phrase righteousness of God when it appears in Romans. And lo and behold, it appears in chapter 3, verse 22, when in the Greek, and it's in the King James Version, Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed by the faith of Jesus Christ to all that believe. Faith of Jesus Christ to all that believe. And what is it by the faith of Jesus? Well, it means Jesus' own faith. He lived a sinless life. He had a perfect faith. He was given the Holy Spirit without measure. So when the Apostle Paul says, I live by the faith of the Son of God, he said, I'm living by his faith. In fact, Galatians 2.16 says we believe in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. What that means is that Jesus on this planet did everything required 
for anybody to get to heaven. He was born under the law. His parents had him circumcised the eighth day. And then at the age of 30, he was baptized. And I don't know if you've ever realized this, but Jesus was actually baptized for you. This is why you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. In fact, when Jesus was standing in the queue to be baptized, John the Baptist said, oh, no, I'm not going to baptize you. You baptize me. Jesus said, you will baptize me to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill righteousness. In other words, everything required of you, Jesus did for you. He kept the law. 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day, every day of his life. He kept the law for you. And the reason that you're doing your best will come short of what is required is because at your best, you're still going to sin. Imagine being in thought, word, and deed perfect. That means you don't have any lustful thoughts. You don't have jealous thoughts. That means there's no love of money that would cause you to want to do this or Take advantage of a situation. Jesus, in thought, word, deed, 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day, every day of his life, he was perfect. Whereas you and I, we sin. You don't have to be a, a member of the mafia to be a sinner. You don't have to be a Saddam Hussein to be a sinner. We all sin. Jealousy is sin. Pride is sin. But Jesus was tempted at all points like his we, but without sin. And so what happened was that on Good Friday, probably between 12 o'clock noon and 3 o'clock, all of our sins were transferred to Jesus as though he were guilty. And God punished Jesus. That's when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who knew no sin was made sin. And on that day, God punished Jesus for what you did. You say, well, that's not fair. But that's what God did. And that's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That means don't go to hell. John 3.16, which Martin Luther called the Bible in a nutshell, mentions eternal punishment right there in the middle of it. He died that you might not go to hell. And for that reason, when Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, there's two faiths. His faith and our faith. His faith was a perfect faith. He never sinned. And unless you believe, even though he died for you, you will be lost. Even though Jesus died for everybody, those who don't believe will be lost. And that's why Paul said the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. His faith must be joined by our faith. What he did must be ratified by our believing in him. And that is when Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed. 
That, in a word, is why a person should be a Christian. And when you see that, you need to realize that people that you know, they don't know this gospel. And even though they might not be very happy when you talk to them, the day will come, they will thank you. But even worse, what if, what if at the judgment you see some of these people and they say to you, why didn't you tell me? Whatever happened to the gospel, what is needed most is what has somehow been pushed behind a cloud or under the carpet because people aren't interested in it. Now, some people say that, well, in Jonathan Edwards' day, you know, people were more emotional or superstitious. You know, what a lot of people don't know is that he preached the same sermon two weeks later in Northampton, Massachusetts. Nothing happened at all. Nothing. God only did it once. He did it once just to demonstrate how terrible it is that there is a hell. You say, well, why did God make a hell? You tell me. If he left it up to me, I would say save everybody. But you see, I am an ambassador. An ambassador represents his country's government. He may personally not understand it, but he defends his government. And I'm an ambassador. I don't understand all that I preach, but I defend it because I'm on his side. And there are things that I don't understand, but one day will be made clear. In the meantime, I know this, that God sent his son into the world, Jesus Christ, the God-man. He was man as though he were not God. He was God as though he were not man. He was the God-man. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so the blood of Jesus, I was so pleased at the beginning of the service, I wanted to whisper to the pastor and say, God will honor this church just because you talk about the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Sing it with me. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. My father named me after his favorite preacher, who was Dr. R.T. Williams. And Dr. Williams would ordain people to the ministry and would give this advice to those in the ministry. Two things, honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. That's it. And I've grown up across the years knowing that the man I was named after, he emphasized the blood. Don't be ashamed of the blood of Jesus. 
It was the most precious commodity in the history of the world. If you'd walked into Jerusalem on Good Friday 2,000 years ago and asked, what's God doing today in Jerusalem? Well, the reply would be, it's Passover. If that thing on a cross outside the city would just die so we could get on with Passover, they're waiting for him to die. And you could have gone to the cross and you wouldn't have a clue by what you saw. This is the greatest event in human history. Nobody believed it was worth anything. They laughed, they scoffed, they said, hey, son of God, come down from the cross so we can see and believe. Thank God he didn't come down. He endured it all. He endured it all. And according to Romans 5, 9, we are justified by the blood from the wrath to come. It's the blood. And if you have any doubt as to whether you are ready to go meet your maker, you need to be clear about this right now. Transfer the trust you had in your good works to the blood of Jesus. Now, be honest. You know what you would have written down 30 minutes ago when I put that proposition to you. What would you say to God? You know what you wrote. And I've got a feeling that there's somebody here you didn't write the right answer because the right answer is because Jesus died for me. If you didn't say that, if you didn't say because of his blood, because of his death, dear friend, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes or anything in the world. But that can all change right now. I just wonder if there's anybody here you gave the wrong answer and you'd be willing to admit it right now. I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, if you wrote the wrong answer but you want to put things right now, I want to give you a prayer to pray. You don't need to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. Somebody prayed that prayer. The question is, are you ashamed that you prayed it? Why do you ask, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. So, in the next 20 seconds, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, to stand up wherever you are. You say, in front of all these people? Yep. Yes. Don't be ashamed. And maybe people would be surprised that you would stand. But just say, look, I got it right now, and I'm unashamed. Five, four, three, Two, one. Anybody pray that prayer and you're unashamed? Would you stand up right now? There's one. Anyone else? Okay. 
Oh, you joined. Two of you. Okay. Anyone else? I won't just tear it, but a couple of seconds. Oh, there's more back there. It's hard to see with these bright lights. Well done. Okay. You can be seated. I'll just turn the service over to whoever's closing. But I'm finished. God bless you. Until next time.